It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. The reason I wanted to do comedy since I was truly a small kid is because I love watching it. It's my, one of my favorite things to do. I came up on memorizing comedies, movies and shows and sketch shows and quoting them with my friends. And all of junior high was just doing and living color sketches with my friends, that was it. Quoting it over and over and over and over. Some of it is not appropriate now <laughs> but what were, who were we we were 12 but uh that's that's all i've ever wanted and because of that and because i've also been such forgive this a student of comedy because i'm obsessed with it i have taken note through the years that a lot of my favorite shit is not the most popular hmm. so when something i make is not the most popular i don't let it make me feel bad a self-proclaimed student of comedy, Andy Samberg knows that humor is subjective, and that's okay. I'm Clayton Davis. On this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to Andy Samberg about his film, Palm Springs. Samberg talks about the unique story behind the movie's Groundhog Day-like storyline, as well as Hollywood representation and inclusion. Plus, he'll get into his time on Saturday Night Live and how his NBC comedy Brooklyn Nine-Nine will tackle the issues of police brutality and systemic racism this season. Additionally, Sandberg discusses his on-screen chemistry with his Palm Springs co-star, Krista Milioti, who also joins us later in the episode. But first, our Word Circuit Roundtable gives its picks for films and TV shows you should catch up on during this long holiday weekend. Pass the stuffing and top off that gravy. It's the Thanksgiving edition of Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Variety Awards Circuit. I'm Clayton Davis, Film Awards Editor here today with Janelle Riley. Good morning. Jazz Tanke. Hello. And Michael Schneider. <laughs> the, the pause. Jazz is on a delay. <laughs> she hasn't had her coffee yet or Jazz, something. Jazz, it's okay to have coffee. It's Monday. It's a Monday before Thanksgiving, guys. It is, it is Thanksgiving week. We're, we're all, we, we need our coffee. So hope uh, hope as you... You're listening to this. You're you're probably people listening to this right now are actually what's what's the that uh, the thing that's in Turkey that causes everyone to fall asleep. Tryptophan. Uh, yeah, exactly. So food coma. Yeah. We're already there. It's like we've already had our big Thanksgiving dinner. So now let's talk turkey. Boom. Um, oh man, what a, <laughs> this is why you are who you are <laughs> every week without fail. I am learning so much from you, the masters of film, uh, about what's going on. I feel much more in tune with the film season. So I thank you for that. One film that I know very little about, other than Amy Adams, is Hillbilly Elegy. So, Clayton, what is that? Uh, what, uh, what is bring, that? Bring, that, bring that is a, such a good bring, setup. Bring what is what Hillbilly is Elegy and why? What is this thing? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Hillbilly Elegy is based on the biography of jd vance uh, a man who 
started his life in a very, very poor part of the country and then became a venture capitalist in the future. It's uh, it's right on the money with this time and what we're all going through. But uh, the movie, directed by Ron Howard, who I love, by the way. I need to say this with all sincerity. I love Ron Howard. I love, we love Opie. I love, we love mo- Opie. I love most of his movies he directs. This was not his vehicle at all. And I don't, and I can't tell you whose fault it is. But it's Can not I an ask, awards vehicle. Go ahead. As, as someone who hasn't seen the movie, so I have nothing to contribute here. Um, I just sort of, you know how sometimes you see something on Twitter and you have to work backwards to figure out what people are talking about? Why are people upset with J.D. Vance? I've, I've just sort of picked up that, that people seem annoyed with him. Uh, is he a Trump supporter? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he well, he's like a... A Trump supporter and his wife clerked for uh, Brett Kavanaugh, so it's just been, you know, and and that's not really and that's and listen, uh, contrary to what Twitter believes, that's not why we don't like the movie <laughs> mm. of what J D Vance contributes in real life. The movie is just not a harrowing story of, you know, people making it, you know, with all these odds against you. I mean, sure, like he has drug problems in his life with his mother and he gets raised by his 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 mama uh glenn mm. close and it's it's it the story just doesn't I, I don't know why it was a story that needed to be told i don't know what it really uh garners in terms of like hope and you know beating the odds it just doesn't <laughs> do that yeah i was just gonna say like he goes to you know he goes to yale you know, he makes it from being a hillbilly to, to yell. And it should be like one of those, oh my gosh, what a great success story. Or like, you know, he, he, you know, lived the dream sort of thing, but they show it really early on in the film that this is where he ends up and you just don't feel for him. And I've heard so many people tell me that if you read the book, you will, his story resonates better so maybe it's in the adaptation of the story and something got lost in translation yeah um the only thing i will say is that glenn close's makeup her transformation is incredible so it could be a crafts player it sounds like but craft player (laughs) singular yes craft but (laughs) but yeah i mean i think jazz brings up a good point where you know clearly the source material if it if it attracted ron howard and glenn close and amy adams and and talent of that caliber there was something there sure yeah and and i'll say this i think one of the things i've I've been dying to like kind of say and people it will be out on netflix by the time people are listening to this one of the big like you know stakes in the movie right because all about the stakes is him wanting to him going back home where his mother is on drugs again and being evicted and he really needs to get to a job interview. Mm. And then at the end decides to just go to the job interview. And then that was it. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Um, so I know you do not seem to be a fan of the movie. However, could this be a situation where critics and audiences differ could do you see a scenario where glenn close or amy adams gets nominated yep uh yep i can i can see uh glenn close because yeah. i think she's just stepping into a really rough race period so i think mm-hmm. she's she's gonna have that going for her. amy adams which i believe should have went supporting for this because i think it is a supporting performance i think if she had went supporting i think her and glenn close actually would have complemented each other very well 
in that category. And maybe one of those two could come out, you know, triumphant in the end. But Wait, um, you're saying complimented rather than competed? Because we always hear like, will they cancel each other out? Yeah. Um, but I, I think they may they may have done it. I think they could have done it maybe together. But I, I, I don't know. It, it, this is going to be a different thing. I think uh, Middle America is going to love this movie. And uh, I think it's interesting also in comparison to Nomadland, which I feel is the white America story told by an Asian woman, like, but is white America being told like the comparison between these two are just like night and day or night and like 30 years back in the past day. It's it's just, um, I just think it's going to have some trouble. Yeah, I was looking at the Rotten Tomatoes difference. I mean, granted, the audience score is only based on seven ratings so far since it's not out there, but a huge difference, 86% versus 27% on their tomato meter. Yeah. Well, I will watch it this weekend and make up my own mind. Well, we already we already made our minds up when we went to see the movie. That's yeah. what Twitter says. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. He admitted <laughs> we, we, it. We walked in and said, we're going to hate this movie. <laughs> That's how we go into all movies. Yeah. I want to hate everything. <laughs> so let's let's switch directions now and talk about one of my favorite stories from the Emmy season, the surprise win of Zendaya uh, for Euphoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, I you know I've been watching Zendaya since my kids were watching Disney Channel back when she was on uh, on on uh, you know doing uh, uh, what was that show that she was on the the dance show Shake It Up Shake It, it Up, up. Thank Shake you. It Up There you go Shake It Up Yeah So back So we've been seeing the progression of her career for quite a while and uh, so so the next chapter Talk about it So Netflix another Netflix movie and probably going to be a better vehicle for them is the now-announced Malcolm and Marie uh, by Sam Levinson, he directed, who also directed episodes of Euphoria. Um, Also produced by Ashley Levinson, who also produces Pieces of a Woman, also a Netflix uh, movie. So, yeah, uh, it's her with John David Washington. Nobody's seen it, uh, on this podcast at least. Uh, No one's seen it. It's still in the editing room. It's still still being finished up uh, now. But Zendaya could be the, I mean, we don't know, we talked about this so early, but if she were to get nominated and then win, she would be the first person since Helen Mirren to win an Emmy and an Oscar in the same year. Before that, you have to go back to Helen Hunt in 97, uh, Mad About You and as, as Good As It Gets. So, I, listen, I hope she's great. Like, I, like, I'm Zendaya all day, every day, so continue to just dazzle the world. And just to clarify, Zendaya is Michi. Correct. <laughs> yes, exactly. One hundred percent on the money. Um, but yeah, I, 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 again, I just I I hope it it's going to be uh, one one of the many pandemic movies we're going to get over the next like probably five years. Five years? How long do you think this pandemic is lasting? No, the pandemic will be over <laughs> at some point, but we're going to get a pandemic well, movie for like the next five years. It'll be like three or four a year. Okay. It's going to be a question of how much appetite is there for. I can't wait for the Chernobyl Diaries like pandemic movie that comes out in like 2026. I can't wait for Songbird 2, 3, and 4. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's uh, Zendaya. So the movie comes out in February, but it, it and it is getting submitted um, for SAG consideration. So it should be done for SAG voters to see and then vote on. 
Wow, it's it's amazing that uh, we're still getting all these last minute contenders coming in. It's it's a crowded race. Yeah. Oh, I can talk about it right now because it's up now. The Mauritanian is another one that just got announced with Jodie Foster and Tahar Rahim, directed by Kevin McDonald, who won an Oscar for a documentary feature for One Day in September in '99. And uh, seeing the film, it's very very good. It it's very very good, like great. Uh, Tahar Rahim is fantastic. He was great in A Prophet. And the past, I'm a very big fan of his. And Jodie Foster may slip into a supporting actress lineup, which could we, which means we could have Anthony Hopkins, Jodie Foster. <gasps> Yay! I'm down Ooh. for it. I just want it. One more thing that we haven't talked about on this podcast yet is, of course, the big news of uh, Wonder Woman 1984 mm. going to HBO Max, and mm-hmm. the, the the changing the changing world there, and and how that impacts things, if it impacts things. Um, you know, Twitter's a buzz about what that means for the future of film exhibition in general. Uh, but, uh, any of you have hot takes? I mean, I'm just happy I'm going to get to see it. (laughs) Selfishly, I would have loved to have seen it in a theater, but I also don't want to have to wait any longer. So, and and technically, I mean, I guess I could, it will be in theaters as well. I just don't know that it'll be playing anywhere near Los Angeles. I was going to say, you might have to drive to another state. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think, I, think the, I, I think the kicking the can down the road by Warner Brothers for a while with it was just like, it, it, I'm glad we finally got to this moment where we could just all acknowledge out loud like there was no way it was coming out in theaters on Christmas. Like, it just wasn't. I feel like I feel like we all knew that in September, but <laughs> there are other people that, like, you know, were hopeful for it. But, you know, I think I think it's a good move for it. I think we're going to see a few others go that way, too. 355 got announced today, got pushed back a year. A universal film with uh, Jessica Chastain. Um, I would, I wouldn't be surprised to see Judas and the Black Messiah go to HBO Max as well. Yeah, it is an interesting time where the the coincidence of the pandemic happening right when these businesses are all dramatically changing their models, and and you've got these streaming services that need more heft, need need more uh, uh, emphasis, and Wall Street clearly that's what matters to them now is is the future of growing these streaming services as we saw with Disney managing to uh, excite Wall Street, uh, despite the fact that they're losing billions with their parks right now. Uh, if, if this can finally educate people on what HBO Max is, I know a number of people who still don't realize that they subscribe to HBO, so they have HBO Max. Wait, what? Uh, the fact is people <laughs> still don't know that. <laughs> Most people don't. So maybe that's what gonna t- it's going to take to educate people and grow that base. But that's that's the future of uh, you know Warner Media is, is that service. Yeah, I also I also feel like I have to say this for one of my uh, old friends, Karen Peterson, who begs HBO Max to please hurry up with the Roku uh, contract so she can get HBO Max on Roku. It is it has been painful for her and <laughs> yeah. everyone else. Yeah, yeah. I I had to, I switched from Roku to Apple TV specifically for that so I could Ooh. get HBO Max and uh, and back when Peacock wasn't available on Roku either. So. Mike Schneider um, has no loyalty. He's just like, nope, I'm leaving you. <laughs> Sorry, there, Roku. I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, I don't have it. Bye. But uh, yeah, so I guess I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm just pimp- pimping away the Apple TV. It feels like these days. But can I, can I ask everyone one question? And we're, we're not going to say who. So we're just it's just a simple yes or no. At the end of this pandemic, whenever it ends, do you think we lose a studio? Wow. To be honest, I haven't thought that far ahead. I haven't thought beyond this week. I mean, the question is, will there be another merger, right? Mm. And 
Yeah. And I, I don't know if a Biden DOJ will be as uh, willing to, uh, since we've already had the, the Disney Fox merger uh, for, for another to take place anytime soon. I said yes. I feel we'll, we will lose one. I don't know. I don't think it's going to be like the big one. I think it's going to be like a small. All right. I was just, I was just curious. I just feel, I, I feel like it's just been on my mind. And I'm just like, do we, is there one that falls? Well, you know, Richard Greenfield, who's the analyst who, who likes to make crazy predictions is, is saying like, he is trying to get NBC universal and, and uh, Warner brothers together. Uh, he he wrote a big piece last week saying that makes sense for both of these companies. You need another He's matchmaking. He's matchmaking. Uh, but again, I think that's too big for the DOJ to approve. But you know, mid mid size. Who knows what happens in, in the coming months with you know Sony and and you know some of these companies. Janelle, make a studio. Okay. Okay. <laughs> in my spare time. Yeah. Please. I can't even assemble my IKEA desk. You want me to build a studio? <laughs> I'm sitting at my kitchen table right now. Yes. Yeah, maybe you could build a studio. It, you just can't build an IKEA desk. Yeah, the instructions for studios probably don't come in Dutch. That so is true. Maybe, maybe I'd be. There, there's still Swedish, a, Swedish. there's an empty IKEA building in Burbank, the old IKEA. That's where you could launch your new studio. Oh. That's Janelle it. Riley Productions. It. Oh, it was <laughs> just born here. I think oh. we, I think we all witnessed it. <laughs> Wish I could see the smile on Janelle's face. She's like, getting see you all later. Amen. <laughs> Would I have to not wear pajamas to go into work though? You can still keep everyone remote. Okay. You just yeah. do it from there. I think post-pandemic, we're still all allowed to just wear pajamas to work I or, or shorts. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if I ever see you again in the office, you're going to see me wearing shorts. I mean, sorry, I just, I can't, I can't wear pants anymore. I just don't think that's a thing. So. <laughs> shorts and sweats are the new <laughs> office attire. <laughs> um, so... Thanksgiving, we mentioned, Turkey Day, um, you know, long weekend, a chance for everyone to catch up on maybe films or, or TV that they missed earlier this year um, and that they should maybe do a little bit of homework. So so uh, what's uh, everyone's picks for the long weekend? Uh, Janelle, start with you. What, uh, what might people have missed earlier this year that uh, you think they need to check out now? Uh, I know we've talked about it here before, but Ben Affleck is fantastic in The Way Back, and the movie itself is very, very good. It's it's unexpected. Like, in some ways, it's a traditional, quote, sports film, and then in other ways, it completely subverts some of these sports tropes. I don't want to give anything more than that away, but um, Ben Affleck, I think, really needs to be in the best actor conversation, and I think if you see The Way Back, it's hard to argue with. Um, the other movie I love uh, is The Half of It, from earlier this year, it premiered on Netflix. It's sort of a lesbian Cyrano de Bergerac. Um, I think most people have probably seen that movie, but if not, check it out. Um, And then more recently, uh, I just wanted to plug again, Run uh, came out on Hulu last weekend, and it's a great movie to watch with your family and be grateful that Sarah Paulson's character is not your mother. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I'll take her either way. But that's probably true for most of the characters she plays, just in general. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, just sort of in the uh, dysfunctional family vein, also The Nest is available now on video on demand, and Carrie Coon and Jude Law are fantastic in it. 
Um, yeah, I have a lot of other like little things, but I think those are the main ones. That's good homework. That's good homework. How about you, Jazz? Uh, what are what are some of your picks? Um, I would like to give a shout out to the King of Staten Island. I actually really liked that when that first came out. Uh, Pete Davidson's in it, and it's produced by Judd Apatow. And it's just, I think it's it's a you know he basically has Arrested Development. His dad is a firefighter, um, and it's just a really sweet story. I think that's on Amazon Prime right now that you can so you can stream it. Um, and I love my documentaries and I do love Athlete A, which was done by Bonnie Cohen and John Shang. And it's about how young girls who grow up to be gymnasts and this whole scandal that rocked the, um, the gymnastic world and the U S Olympics. It's very, it's intense, but it's it's a really good watch if you've got the you know if you've got the um i guess stomach for that one um so those are the two there's a lot i mean i also like the wretched the wretched was a small horror film that did really well at the drive-ins um visual effects are very good um and it came out i think on ifc um yeah so those are my my three sounds good and be greedy (laughs) how about you clayton uh i mean i've said a lot of them over the last few weeks but uh i always have to shout out a documentary first like go watch some documentaries if you haven't but john lewis good trouble and the way i see it um both from don porter which which was the first episode of doc dreams on variety uh you should watch that interview but that's very good um i am a big fan of onward and onward like in a very big way that i don't think it should just be an animated feature conversation i think it's like my number two film of the year like i love the the movie i think arguably maybe like top three best pixar movies like i know i'm gonna maybe be on an island by myself but i think some people may recognize that um I think people should always expand their palettes. So Invisible Man, I think, is still very good and should be given uh, some technical uh, citations for sound and visual effects. Uh, the Outpost is actually very good. It's on Netflix right now, Rod Lurie's uh, film. And I would... Kelly Reichert is a very particular type of filmmaker, but I always tell everyone to give her give a movie of hers a shot if you haven't yet and first cow is very very good um and then i'm still a big fan of the assistant because i think julia gardner's incredible in it yes thank you i was gonna mention that one i think she's great um and and miss juneteenth i still will stand by that as well nicole bahari was Soul supposed to release this week, or is that no? Coming it was supposed Christmas to, now? but December. now it's Christmas. Okay, I didn't imagine that because when you mentioned Onward, it actually yeah. it got me thinking. But I guess yeah. we can talk about that at a later date. Yeah, but but uh, I, I, I Onward that, that was the final film I actually saw in a movie theater. You do um, <laughs> saw it like that weekend before everything shut down, so I have fond memories of that, and uh, it definitely was a tearjerker. I think it's one that I've appreciated more as I've thought about it and, and we watched it again since it was available on Disney plus. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely up there with uh, some of the great Pixar tearjerkers. I'll go for my pick a uh, TV route. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about, uh, you know, TV shows to just feel good right now. Ted Lasso is one that we've been talking about. And then of course, going back and, and watching uh, binging Shit's Creek. Uh, I will add one more to, to that sort of the feel good comedies of the year. 
uh, to sort of make you forget about the pandemic and also forget about the election and, and politics and everything. And that was Mythic Quest, Raven's Banquet, mm. also on Apple TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob McElhaney and that cast. Uh, it, it's it's a show that, uh, you know, really appreciate now for, you know, I binged it early in the pandemic and it was a nice diversion. They did one of the greatest early pandemic uh, bonus episodes that they shot all on their iPhones, uh, you know, back when that was a thing. And it was a really well done episode. But it's it's a great ensemble cast, a work comedy. Uh, the, the characters are really starting to, to, you know, be well developed and, and interact with each other in interesting ways. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of what they do with that show and with that cast. But if you haven't watched it yet, and again, I feel like I'm I'm, I'm pimping out the Apple TV this week. I but, was going to uh, say, <laughs> but I can't argue. It's definitely well worth going back and, and, and binging and, and, and watching to add to the trifecta of just, you know, shows that make you feel good uh, and, and are fun to watch and are funny as well. So, so that's my pick to catch up on over the holiday weekend. And we and we have to say Palm Springs since Andy Samberg is the guest this week with Chris Emiliotti. Absolutely. That goes without saying. If you haven't seen Palm Springs yet, another fine film and a, a fun uh, take on the whole Groundhog Day uh, phenomenon. They, they do it in an interesting new twist. So I'll, I'll throw that in there, too. Well, on that note, um, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Turkey Day. Happy Hope everyone has Bobble. really filling meals. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, pre- I'm preemptively exhausted, so <laughs> getting that out of the way. All right. Well, uh, thanks, and we'll, we'll catch you on the other side with our bellies stuffed with goodies. It's Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Clayton Davis. Written by Andy C.R. and director Max Barbacow in their feature debuts, Palm Springs stars Andy Samberg as Niles, who's with his girlfriend at a destination wedding in Palm Springs. We soon learn, however, that Niles is stuck in an infinite time loop, and the wedding day keeps happening over and over again. Soon he meets Sarah, played by Krista Miliati, who ends up getting stuck in that same loop. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. That I might have heard about? Yeah. The second you fall asleep, it all just goes back to the start. I drove all the way back home to Austin, and I still woke up here. One time I smoked a bunch of crystal and made it all the way to Equatorial Guinea. It was a huge waste of time. Well, then what's the point of living? We kind of have no choice but to live. No, I'm gonna get out of this. Suit yourself. For his comedic and dramatic work in Palm Springs, Sandberg digs in and gets some of his best and most personal acting abilities to date in a film in which he even has a love scene with Peter Gallagher. I recently spoke with Sandberg about Palm Springs, Hollywood inclusion, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, comedy, and among other things. We started by discussing the new Academy inclusion standards. Sandberg's sitcom Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a good example of how representation and inclusion can and should work with co-stars like Stephanie Beatrice and Melissa Fumero. That was just a case of we brought in a large group of people and had them read for various roles. And I mean, Stephanie and I, you know, in this case, because Andre and and Terry were just direct asks because they were pre-known quantities. But Melissa and Stephanie came in and just killed it. And everyone was like, man, let's just let's just get both to do it because they're both super good. And, you know, we did 
chemistry reads and stuff and they were both really funny and charming and you just fell in love with them and it was like yeah that's the show that's what we want it to be um so in a lot of ways it's like we were it was fortuitous in terms of the venn diagram of being inclusive because they were great so Mm -hmm. it was an easy call it wasn't even us needing to be like the world is not doing a good job of this so we're going to force the issue we knew that that was important and we wanted it to be that but we also had no difficulty pulling the trigger on it because they're great. Yeah. Yeah. Also the Oscar thing, people having issues with that is insane. Like the parameters, if you look at them closely. Say it, Andy. Go ahead. Say it. (laughs) You could have the whitest cast in the history of cinema and still very easily meet them by just doing a few key roles behind the camera. It's people that have problems where they can fuck off. Yeah. (laughs) want to be you when I grew up. So let's get into Palm Springs. Okay. All right. So you, you didn't film in Palm Springs. No. <laughs> as, as we know. Yes. Or for financial reasons. Yeah. It's so boring. I forgive, forgive me anyone listening because it's so boring. But yeah. our apologies to people from Palm Springs who can tell it's not in Palm Springs. We had every intention of shooting in Palm Springs. It was part of the reason I wanted to make the movie was so I could spend time in Palm Springs. I love it there. I've, have people been piss about it are they like palm, they, yeah. palm springs residents and people who frequent palm springs have gone out of their way to mention yeah. they didn't shoot in palm springs it doesn't get anything like palm springs and we're like i know i'm sorry there's nothing i can say basically what happened was it's a really low budget movie we got the california tax rebate it was an la shoot and because of that we had to stay within the tmz the 30 mile zone right yeah. um that's what the show is named after. I found that out because we produced this movie. <laughs> and Palm Springs was outside of it. And if we shot a lot of stuff in Palm Springs, we would have lost our rebate. So we had to fake other places for Palm Springs. And we figured it wouldn't be too egregious because most of it is in the desert or at a single house location. Yeah. Or like resort location. Get away with that. Yeah. All right. So that, that's that super fun story. I'm not a Palm Springs <laughs> frequenter at all, so I'm okay with that. that that's an acceptable answer to me. It's really quite nice. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, you're working, you're working the movie. Uh, you get to work with Mark's, Max Barbacow, his first, his first uh, direct, directing effort. Yeah. Andy Sciarra, it's his first script. Yeah. And here you are, the veteran guy walking in and being like, <laughs> I know how movies work. <laughs> Uh, but dude, it's, it's, it's the best thing you've ever done. Like, I gotta I got tell you that it's the best you. thing you've ever done. Uh, from, from an act, from an acting standpoint, cause listen, like. There's no, there's no comedy raps in it. Yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> we, 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 can you, can you, by the way, tell Akiva that, um, things in my Jeep is like probably my second favorite song. Like, and I feel like it's <laughs> such an underrated, no one talks about it. I want the full version of it. I love that. Somewhere that you guys have. <laughs> I will uh, definitely tell him and he will be stoked. Yeah, I love things like you. I love things like you too. But, but yeah, go ahead. So how, how did you like, you know, uh, you know, how did you get involved? How did you discover it? Like, yeah. what are you doing? Um, it was a, it just came into me through my agent. Um, they were like, Jay Gasner, wonderful guy. He's like, there's a script I just read that they're asking if you want to be in and possibly come on to produce. And I really liked it. And I think you would really like it. Um, And I read it that night and I really liked it. 
He was completely right. Ready in one night. Oh yeah. I liked the idea. He told me the premise and I was like, oh, I want to read this. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, it was good timing. I wasn't busy, <laughs> um, but it was one of those things where, you know, 10, 15 pages in, I was like, Ooh, I like this. Like tonally I'm already fully in. There's already been like three scenes that had good shit in it. Um, and it's that same thing where I was like, and I can see myself doing it and not feeling like either there's no reason for it to be me and also that I'm not going to be out on a limb. I know I said that phrase already, but I think that way. I don't want to be out on a limb and then fall off the limb as an actor. <laughs> um, a lot of branches. So, huh? A lot of branches. A lot of branches. Yeah, yeah. you got to stay on the branches that can hold your weight. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was like, I love it. Let's set up a meeting. I met with Ciara and Max. Uh, we had a great first meeting, me and, and the two of them and Becky Sloviter, who was running our company at that time and produced the movie. It looked uh, like they were plucked out of your world. Like it looked like, I, like I look at, like, I'm like, how, how'd you guys not grow up together? Like you look, Ma Max and Andy. Andy oh Ciara, yeah. yeah. Look like you guys should have grown up together. Like did Jorman and Akiva just, morphed into something else they're just younger but like us they're into the same shit we're into they have the same worldview and luckily for me they you know were younger when we first started getting going so they were like hey you're cool you've done stuff we want to get involved <laughs> and do this with you so i'm like i think you're cool i love your yeah. scripts <laughs> well, i'm gonna live um, vicariously through you yeah yeah I, you know we hit it off immediately and i had thoughts and they liked my thoughts and tonally we were right on the exact same page like we really just we saw the movie the same way and all of this stuff I was suggesting they were they would have thought of themselves if they knew that they had the latitude for it they were just trying to keep it really small um, and I was like I just think you can expand a little more we can make it up feel a little bit bigger and and add more set pieces and you know, lean into the rom-com aspects even more. And they were like, great. And Ciara nailed it and with his rewrite and we were just off and running. Awesome. Yeah. Did you, would you, by the way, would you say that you had incredible thoughts about it? I feel like I had um, solid to semi-incredible thoughts. Every time I said incredible thoughts, Bolton just like appeared like I could. <laughs> Like candy, man. He's gonna come. He's gonna appear in your house, man. Like, <laughs> um, so, Kristen, Kristen Miliotti, man, you, you yeah. two have really great chemistry. Thanks. Uh, you know, even though she, we, we've spoken about this, she has not seen a lot of your greatest works yet. But we're, we're training <laughs> yeah. her. We're getting her like set up for your next movie. Yes. Um, but yeah, you, you, I mean, with. Did you guys spend a, a lot of time together beforehand at all or? Uh... Not a ton. Um, that came about because my wife and I watched uh, Black Mirror, the, the SS Callister episode and season two of Fargo, basically back to back. Okay. And we were like, who is this woman? <laughs> Kristen Milioti, who's so good in both of them and so different in both of them. Um, and then... I started having a conversation with Becky Sloviter about it at, at the office. And she was like, oh my God, I know I'm obsessed with her. She's so awesome. And then like a few weeks later, the script for Palm Springs came in 
And Becky and I, like, almost at the exact same time, were like, what about Miliati? Do you think she would do it? She'd be so perfect. That'd be incredible. And we had already been so excited about Kristen that she was coming in for a general meeting at our office with Becky. And I happened to be there the day that she came in. So I stopped by and I was just going to like say hi for five minutes and like fan out on her. And instead we ended up talking for like two hours um, and just laughing. That's when I hang out with Miliati, that's what we do. We're just like giggling. So you you miss that coffee date you were supposed to have. (laughs) This is what happened. (laughs) Two hours. It was that. Um, So then, you know, we, you know, got financing on the movie and asked her to be in it and she was into it and it was rad. You know, we, we talked a few times on the phone briefly and then she came in and we rehearsed some scenes and talked about scenes and kind of reworked some, some sections together with Max and Andy, which was awesome. Um, and we hung out there and then we had dance rehearsals a couple times because we had that big dance number in it amazing uh and i dropped her <laughs> once and felt really horrible she never let me hear the end of it oh my god um but we immediately had you know a cat like a rhythm um you know it's it can be awkward to talk about it in in terms that are like presumptive but yeah. we got along very quickly we became buddies very quickly and we have the same sense of humor so it was super fun the whole process with her was really fun. You just have no muscle strength to hold her up at all. No, I'm apparently a spindly weakling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's a light person. So, yeah. all right. Uh, got, got two more questions for you. Uh, this I could, let's get the big one out of, uh, out of the way. And uh, uh, going back to Brooklyn Nine Nine for a second, I, I wanted to ask you. Yeah. How do you? think the show should address police brutality and systemic racism that's kind of going on right now. I know that's been a big topic. I know that it came up and I wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of like put that out there. Yeah. Um, Well, it's still being figured out, obviously. Um, I think there's no question it's going to address it. Um, We have a great challenge for the show itself. Obviously it's, a real and serious challenge for the country um, and the world, obviously, too. But specifically right now, our country is going through. I shouldn't even say going through. It's it's been happening the whole time. Like, uh, it's not to make it seem like frivolous, but I've been saying to people who I talk to, I'm like, I've been hearing about this in rap music for the last 30 years. Like, Mm -hmm. since I was a little kid, I've known that there's police brutality and police racism. Like we have been being told if we want to listen. Um, So it's not a huge like newsflash to me, but it is for a lot of people, which is both sad and also good and inspiring. And I think what the show is going to try and do is further that conversation. uh, Hopefully get other people talking amongst themselves with what we do on the show. You know, at the end of the day, we are a comedy but it's a cop comedy. So we got to, you know, lie in the bed we make. Um, is, 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 that, is, that, is that the hard part like to navigate right now? Cause, cause if you were NYPD blue, then it'd be like, sure, go for it. Like right. you know, address it in the most honorable way possible. Yes. It's the challenge is going to be 
being honest about what's happening in the world and not shying away from the fact that there's serious problems and also not punishing viewers who like our show and care about our characters. Yeah. Um, but I do believe that our characters need to examine their roles in the world and that's gonna be how we address it. They're gonna have conversations amongst themselves um, and, and be forced to sort of look in the mirror in terms of what they're doing and who they're complicit with and to, you know? Um, so, you know, the good news for us is I think we have a pretty decent track record already in terms of addressing social issues. Yeah. We've certainly never acted as if all police are innocent, you know, uh, outside of our squad. In fact, I think we have a ton of episodes that are specifically about how there's a lot of corruption and a lot of, you know, breaking a protocol and it's not good. It's terrible. Um, and we've addressed other social issues. You know, we had a whole issue with Terry being profiled in his own neighborhood and him and, and uh, Andre's character, Captain Holt, having a really honest and frankly depressing discussion about that, what the ramifications are and what their options are. Um, and, you know, I think it's important for us and for anyone watching our show to keep in mind, if we're looking for a, a half hour comedy show to be the ones to like solve this problem, we're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I remember a long time ago, uh, reading an interview with Jon Stewart where he said something similar where, you know, there were all those, there's a lot going on politically that was pretty fucked up. And the Daily Show was really at the forefront of talking about a lot of it. And at a certain point, he was getting leaned on by the interviewer and he was like, why? I'm a comedian. Like, what is going on in the state of the world that I'm the one who's responsible for coming up with the right solution? Like, I'm just pointing out that this stuff isn't getting done right. Um, so I think that's our job. Our job is pointing out that stuff isn't getting done right. And, you know, spreading the word that we're really hopeful that it can get better and that we can, you know, put people in office that will make changes for the better and, you know, just fucking pray. It's a, it's a hard time. It's a really hard time. Boil for president, man. Let's do it. <laughs> we love boil. I'll do it right now. All right, <laughs> uh, last question, uh, is, Back to Palm Springs now. Um, I'm, I'm championing your movie and I'm letting uh, voters know it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> to want to write this, this film down and check it off on, on your ballot because there's always been this apprehension for comedy. And like, and, and I say like comedy comedy, like, you know, that really yeah. goes out. And it's romantic comedy and you could, you know, say, say that it's dramedy and that's what they tend to go for. But this really leans into the comedy part. Yeah. I want to kind of give you a soapbox to, <laughs> to, to, to say to voters, to say to the, the industry, why comedy is real art and why it's just as valuable and difficult and challenging and rewarding as Daniel Day-Lewis saying, I drink your milkshake. Which you <laughs> said if you took the role. Yeah, I passed. Yeah. Again, we should probably not gloss over that I passed on that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> man. Like, can you talk, call Jorma and keep after this man and just be like, hey, I think we got to do Daniel Plainview now. <laughs> I got I got the next big idea. I mean, yeah. I remember Bill did a really good 
plain view sketch when we were on SNL. It was very funny. Oh yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. okay. So box. Yeah. Go. Um, that's a hard one for me. I obviously I believe in comedy and I believe in it as I believe it can be and is a, a high art form and valuable and necessary. Um, you know, in many ways it's it's my life philosophy. So obviously I take it seriously. Um it's hard. I don't like to, I don't like to ever tell anyone what to think, but I do think Palm Springs is a super good movie that came out really well. I think it has bigger things on its mind than your average slapstick comedy, if that's what people need <laughs> to feel like it's in that category. Yeah. You know, um, I I know uh, I know people are just going to do whatever they think anyway. So yeah. it's, I'm not, I'm not yeah. trying to. Change I mean, I, yeah, I just I think about like I always tell people when they talk about oh you know comedy blah blah you know are we really like. The Odd Couple is like one of the funniest films ever made. Yeah. And it's straight like slaps. There's no dramedy part. It's like slapstick comedy. Like, yeah. One of the greatest ever made and found its way into some stuff. And like Melissa McCarthy and Bridesmaids gets, yeah. you know, tra- like we, they dip into it. They'll put their toe in the pond, but they'll never like die. <laughs> just, I know. They tried to put together a, like a comedy awards a few years back. Comedy Central did, but it kind of went away. It's hard. It's hard. You know, you don't make comedy to get nominated for stuff, Yeah. you know, and a lot of people who work in comedy make stuff that's sort of half comedy and then do. And that's great. And it's also fine if you don't, you know, like I, I definitely don't do this to try and get nominated for stuff. I love it when I do. It feels great. You know, I was really happy and proud when Brooklyn won Globes and, you know, when Dick in a Box won an Emmy, that was hilarious and like made us feel great. And it was just a funny moment. (laughs) But like, I don't know. I think you're right though. Comedy to break through, it has to have like cultural impact. Like, so clearly Bridesmaids was that, right? Or, you know, even though it's more of a dramedy like Lost in Translation or something where everyone's like, that's a, that's an award season movie because everyone was talking about it and everyone saw it. And it was Bill Murray changing his tone so much and like killing it. We were like, fuck, he's so good. And like, even though he didn't get nominated for an Oscar last year with uncut gems, you like, no one can watch that movie and not be like, God damn it. Sandler's so good. And that movie is so impressive and specific and like visceral. Um, so, you know, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. I, I know that maybe we have a better shot because there's so many movies that aren't coming out this year. <laughs> so I'll take it, you know, give me all I the think you patient you zero, everyone. <laughs> patient zero right here. Just admitted it. He started it yeah. up. For us, right. it's like, it's just exciting that people are still talking about the movie Palm Springs. Like it was a really hard movie to make for cheap. You know, we had a long road getting it done. It came out you know, in a way that we were really happy. It went great at Sundance, went great on Hulu. You know, it, it sort of weirdly timed out nicely that the themes in it matched up with be, people being quarantined in a strange way. Um, so yeah, I believe in it, I stand by it. And, and uh, if that happens, great. All right, <laughs> Mr. Sandberg, one of my heroes, man. Oh, buddy. One of my heroes. Nice, you're too nice. Palm Springs is currently streaming on Hulu.
Kristen Milioti started out in the New York theater scene, but more recently has been seen all over television, including a role as a titular mother in How I Met Your Mother, and as a star of the Emmy-winning Black Mirror episode, USS Callister. In Palm Springs, Milioti taps into the vulnerability of Sarah's character opposite Andy Samberg. I think why, why your performance resonates so much with me, there's a, there's so many underlying tones in every word that's spoken until certain reveals happen. And I don't want to ruin it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. But like there's, you know, first it's just like, oh, you're a rebel. You're just have better things to do. Right. But then there's like, uh, then there's shame. And then there's a, a feeling of loneliness. And then there's like just this kind of YOLO <laughs> kind of mentality that goes to, um, and it's and seemed deeply personal. And I know that you spoke, you you just mentioned it before, you know, you, you dropped out of uh, college, uh, you know, to, to, you know, pursue uh, acting. Is that how kind of your life has been up until now? It's just kind of like, it's, you're working hard, but it's also like YOLO only got one shot at this. Oh so I might as well just go for it. I mean, sometimes for sure. I wish I had more of that in me. Um, I just also want to say, I so appreciate you saying that and recognizing those things in that performance. Um, Cause we also really tried to, you know, I, it, that filming that because there is, there are so many reveals, like there's just like very, there's like little things along the way that like then when you know everything that happens, you're like, oh, that's why that was like that. And I love that about the film. It was like one of the things that excited me the most about signing on. Um, as, far as, as far as YOLO in my own life, uh, I would say, sure, it's definitely there. I mean, to, to drop out of college, I had to. You know, sure. I think that was just being like a ballsy 19 year old from New Jersey. I, I like I look back on that sometimes and I I I wish I had more of that now as an adult because um, it's so it, yeah it's uh I, I didn't have like a lot of fear then I just was like yeah whatever like I don't want to be here I'm gonna do this now and I like you know um, I still have it to some degree for sure but uh yeah I mean I guess in, in a way you kind of have to have a little bit of it to do uh this because you just have to embarrass yourself so often you know <laughs> like acting is very embarrassing <laughs> yeah there's a great um an amy poehler's autobiography um i read it years ago and i remember she said that she was like acting can be so embarrassing and i, I was like yes that is what i felt like it's the best and also yeah. like you kind the of worst. like <laughs> completely open yourself up and and go for it and um it can be very embarrassing. So maybe it comes through just by way of like what I've chosen to do. Uh, do, you, do you find yourself, uh, it's the only kind of word I can, I can vulnerable and in, in, in not just in the acting space, but maybe within your own life. Cause there is a vulnerability that Sarah has oh, that yeah. is like, that's it's like deeply profound. Well, thank you. Yeah. Like I mean, I'm vulnerable in life just cause I'm alive, but <laughs> I, are you talking like vulnerable in this industry specifically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that, maybe more so in the industry, but maybe like just as as a because there seems to be a deep personal connection. Yeah. Between that's why I would say there's like this genre bias about like what comedies can can give, and yeah. sure you can see fart jokes and you can see you know Andy Samberg oh. about to make out with you know Kyle McLaughlin and stuff like that. You know, and I'm not calling McLaughlin, Peter McGallagher. Oh, I was like, Kyle McLaughlin was that it? Yeah, I got it. Peter McGallagher. Sorry. They're my Dermot Mulroney and Dylan McDermott. Oh, <laughs> of life yeah, yeah. happens. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, you could see that and just be like, ah, oh, this has nothing real to say, but yeah. it has so oh, much to say. I mean, that was also something I was so attracted to um, about it and about her. You know, I think that like what makes the movie so good too, regardless of like how well it's made and how well it's written in terms of like the sci-fi element was that you're, you're actually seeing people in pain. And I had a director tell me once that um, comedy is people navigating their own pain. That like, that's actually what's what, and it's not to dismiss it. Like, I actually think you, you have, you know, comedies should be played with like dramas and vice versa. Like, I mean, not to put it in that too fine of a box, but um, like Sarah has so much vulnerability in her and she's so lost. And there's certainly, I have felt lost in my life too. Like, you know, I've, there are parts of her that regardless if you're in her specific situation, I think we all uh, really wrestle with shame, just being alive in the world and finding our way through the world. We wrestle with um, feeling lost, feeling like we fucked up and that everyone else has the blueprint and somehow we didn't get ours sent to us. Like, I do think that it's sort of, her situation is, is almost like superfluous. Um, it's just so wonderful that that like is her specific situation uh, in terms of like how the movie works. But um, I don't know, those were all like really human elements that I found to be really moving to your point too about like genreless of this, the, the genre, I'm using the wrong word, but um, that you can't really box this movie into a genre. Cause like, yes, it's a comedy. Yes, there's like a dance number and we do like a bunch of like, you know. Which is amazing of, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of like funny moments, but I actually, I found it to be a, a very Zen film, weirdly, about like that you can't run away from your shit. That like, and I've, I've said, I, when we did uh, like a lot of press for this, you know, everyone was always like, it's a romantic comedy, it's a romantic comedy. And I was always like, sure, I find it to be an existential comedy. And I don't know that, you know, we all experience the sensation of wanting to run from who we are and, and wishing that if only this thing were different about our situation, everything would be great. And so there's actually, like I thought like, yeah, kind of a Zen quality about like, well, if you have to, if you're stuck in one place, which you could argue, like if you're stuck with yourself, you can't ever run away from yourself, what do you do? Yeah. And I really, and, and to have that in like through the lens of like a sci-fi weird movie, I mean, it's like my dream. Let's go a little bit into your career because uh, obviously, you know, I, I think most notably people will always bring up how I met your mother. Uh, yeah. like, and it's, it's always like the go-to stuff. And I am okay with them talking about how I met your mother, you know, cause that's usually what you, your introduction to the world, but you've been sure. so much more than that. I know before how I met your mother, you were on uh, an episode of 30 rock yes. Sopranos, nurse Jackie, the good wife. I mean, you ran the gauntlet through like during the golden age of television. That yeah. Like, at that point, were you just, like, just trying to work, like, yes. where you could? Oh, yeah. I was just trying to work. I was doing a bunch of, like, weird off-Broadway plays that, you know, like, it's so funny. Um, I did an interview recently, and someone was like, I didn't know that you could, like, they mentioned something. They were like, that you were drawn to dark material or something. And I was like, 
yeah, also a lot of what I've done is dark, but also like not to, but, but also I was like, you know, they were like, when did you decide to get into that? And I was like, I was doing it for years. Just none of y'all saw it. <laughs> no one saw it. Um, I was paying attention to me. I was doing it the whole time. I was doing it the whole time for like no money in a black box theater somewhere on the Lower East Side. Like I was doing it for you. You know, I worked a lot with um, this incredible director, Ivo Van Hova. Uh, did you ever see any of his stuff? He's no, really um, experimental, beautiful, beautiful. He did that Crucible that was on Broadway with Sir Sherman. Oh, yes. Okay, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He was like my intro. He's like, I dropped out of college and working with him sort of was like my college. Where like, you saw that, that show's brutal. That show's like so intense. And that's kind of how he... Uh, roles and I was doing stuff like that for a really long time that like I said no one was seeing <laughs> and then I was doing I like couldn't book a law and order to save my life um, I was told once for a law and order that I was too cerebral um, I don't know and too melancholy but <laughs> yeah and I was like to play a victim <laughs> okay uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're too upset yeah. about going through this right now. G give me less. You should be a little more yeah. balanced in this yeah. moment. Remember, she's a victim that you want to get a beer with. Yeah. Uh, no, but uh, no. So I was doing all that to, you know, pay the bills. But that 30 Rock role was sort of the first. That was like the thing that um, I did that at the same time that I was starting rehearsals for once. And both of those things sort of. Um, and uh led to that that was like a real shift for me and, and uh, people don't even know that you were in once like i i forget that you yeah. were able to be in, in once because yeah. once is like first of all I, I, everyone loves the movie so much and then it got to go to broadway um we're waiting for the chris emiliati musical film oh, you and me both honestly I, I really like I want to do one so bad and I've been like close on a couple and uh can I tell, I, can I tell you a secret between you and I like something like so I, I constantly cast things in my head just because yeah. I know you're not supposed to but I do yeah I I have said for a while because I knew that you because you never know who can sing in Hollywood that's always like the big like secret like like Chris right. Pine Biggest surprise of life that he could hold a note. Totally sing, yeah. Like, like an angel, like beautifully. Yeah. <laughs> an angel, yeah. Couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, and when I found out you can sing, it, the first thing that slapped me, I was like, oh my God, I want her to be Glinda in the Wicked movie. Oh my God, like, great. Tell them. Like, I, I was like- I, I might be a little long in the tooth, you know what I mean? I, like, anymore, I, we're like, we're allowed to play teenagers. <laughs> I know, I mean, come on now. <laughs> Well, also, you don't age. I mean, you and I are the same generation. We both don't age, so we're like, okay, like in yeah, that's why. <laughs> a lot longer. Um, no, but yeah. I'm all for it. Like, I would love for that uh, part of movie making to be brought back, where like Stockard Channing could play a 16 year old. Like, I'm like, great. I get it. I get why we're getting real 16 year olds. But like, yeah, exactly. For something like Wicked, you're like, oh, you know, what if we yeah. just? We're already suspending disbelief that this is a school for wizards. Like, can't <laughs> disbelief that I'm like a student. <laughs> yeah, and it's fine. We can we can roll with that. Oh, yeah. yeah, I would love that. Yeah, but yes. Yeah, so I'm ready for the musical Hollywood. Those, if you're listening, we're going to actual children. I think. Oh. <laughs> I would assume. Are they? Because they haven't spoken about it in like a year no. and a half. So. Yeah. 
I love playing this game too. I love like casting. I'm on a text thread actually about who's going to play what in Wicked. And really? Who, <laughs> yeah. Who, who do you, who do you, wait, no, no, you can't. You can't leave it there. Who do you have for Elsa? No, no. Um. Well, we do our dream casting, and um, I forget who my dream. My my dream casting was like will never be um, what it was. I was like, I I was the like, originals, oh, obviously. <laughs> What'd you say? The originals, obviously. Adina and Kristen are always. Yeah, I was like, going like I was going. Yeah. Like, yeah, I was like, Michael Shannon is the wizard. Uh, who else? <laughs> there was like, you know, like going like, um, no, I mean, I would have to assume like, I mean, I would assume it would be like Zendaya for Elphaba, if they're smart. That, that, so could, that could work. That and could then work. for Glinda, I mean, I love that we're playing this game. Right. I feel like there are like a bunch of like, um, like I don't like I feel like I actually have never uh heard her sing but like Dove Cameron right she like looks like a doll I don't know I I, I don't know yeah, I don't my, know my, the right game to play because I don't know if I would love this game played it, it doesn't matter it's it's, yeah. it's still a fun game to play yeah. by the way I, I always said but, but now they're too old Samantha Barks as Alphaba and Megan yeah. Hilty which they just let oh, get away from us Megan Hilty so. is so incredible she yeah. is like can sing anything she have you met her no i haven't oh, i have not been blessed <laughs> the sweetest sure. kindest coolest funniest she's wonderful cool people roll together that's why you know her yeah. <laughs> sorry i would i would watch her sing the phone book i watch her read the phone book like yeah. she great <laughs> fantastic oh great and that's it for this edition of variety's award circuit podcast preston northup edited this episode and michael schneider is the producer Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Janelle Riley, Jazz Tanke, and Michael Schneider, I'm Clayton Davis. We'll see you on the circuit. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.